Liverpool 3 0. Corner taken quickly, Origi! It's Divock Origi's world, and we're all just living in it, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. Another two victories for the Reds since we last spoke, and another goal in the last minute for the King Divock. James Max, how are we doing, guys? Uh, now my heart has finally calmed down from Saturday. Um, yeah, not too bad. <laughs> he's, um, yeah. I mean, he, he, I, I said a fair while ago that his um, sole purpose in life is to be a meme. And once again, he has fulfilled his meme status. as Both positive and negative. Yes, both positive and negative. That The man is just a walking meme. <laughs> Let's get straight into it then, because obviously Liverpool beat Wolverhampton Wanderers 1-0 away from home on the weekend. The goal came in more or less the last kick of the game through the aforementioned Divock Origi off the bench. We've seen that before. Is he the best super sub in the Premier League, James? I think there's a, there's a case for it, and I certainly think I don't think anyone's going to have a better argument for it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think it's a weird one with Origi. If you start him... He doesn't seem to do much. He doesn't seem to offer anything. But I think when he comes off the bench, I don't know what it is, whether he, he's got 30 minutes in him where he can make something happen or opposition defenders and teams just don't know what to do with him because he's got this thing about being Liverpool super sub and being clutch in the big moments and scoring the, the, the season-defining goals for Liverpool. Whether they panic when he comes off you know, with 10, 15 minutes to go, I don't know what it is, but he certainly for me, is, is the best super sub in the Premier League. I think it depends what you mean by best. Is he the best attacking player on the bench of any of the top clubs? No, no, he is not. But does he fulfil the role of a super sub better than anyone else? Yes, he of course does. I mean, is he like... Like this this is such an insult to all the other Solskjaer, so if anything, it's even better. Um he is our he is our Solskjaer. Probably not as good a player, let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> as as, as Oligar Solskjaer, he's not that good. But he's just got this. What I love most about him is that every report I've ever heard about him from a first team member is that he's just nuts as well, which seems to help. Like he's late to everything. Like does Divock Origi is summed up perfectly by the fact that the 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 winner that he scored in the Merseyside derby at Anfield, he picks the ball up and tries to run back to the halfway line at one nil in the ninety what fourth fifth minute like. What is he doing? <laughs> I like God love him. He he fulfills a very special place in football that is very hard to fulfill. It's an extremely niche role, isn't it? Really, when you think about it. And I saw a bit of analysis from Jamie Carragher on uh, Monday Night Football saying that we shouldn't be judging Divock Origi when he's starting games. He should solely be judged on his on his appearances from the bench because his role in Liverpool squad is if we need a goal or we need some more attacking impetus in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game, he comes on. And statistically, his goals for minutes are far better when he's came on for like 10 minutes here or there than it is starting matches. Yeah, like I said, I don't know what it is. It's When he comes off the bench, obviously we've seen him this season. He's already scored the goal against West Ham, which he took really well, uh, which was you know, a really good finish. And then he goes and scores the winner against Wolves. 
but then in other games where he's where he started, you know, last season and in a couple of cup games this year, he, he looks a little bit off the pace. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he, he he picks up on defenders being tired or he just knows where to be at the right times at the end of a game. But for some reason, you start a game and you know you look at the starting lineup and you see you know Origi in there for Jota and you go, oh, you know, I'd probably rather have Jota start this game. But then 75th minute when you're chasing a goal, you're going, go on, take Jota off and ring Origi on. It's, it's just that sort of mindset. And I don't think there's anybody who can bring that mindset out of Liverpool fans like D- Divock Origi. He's, he's just, yeah. He, he, if anything, he sums up, I think, what it is to be a football fan. And hear me out here because it makes sense. Most of the time, being a football fan is dreadful. It is not what you hoped it would be, and it's mostly just frustrating. However, there are odd moments of pure, blinding joy and brilliance. And that is Divock Origi as a footballer, my friends. He's just... He's so strange. I don't think I've ever seen a player like him, and I think Carragher's absolutely right. Solskjaer, who is always like, you know, the super sub, and Ed and Dzeko somehow managed to have this role, despite the fact he was one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Um, but Solskjaer is the big one. But the difference is, is that if you started Solskjaer or you started Dzeko, you still had a really, really good striker. If you start Divock Origi, bar the odd game or two, it's a terrible idea. It's just such an odd... He, he is such an yeah. odd paradox of a footballer. He's only had one period where he started for Liverpool and did really well. And that was, the as Klopp mentioned recently, the period around our Europa League run in his first season, yeah, where he was fantastic. And then... Um, uh, Romero Funes Mori decided to, you know, he hadn't done a GBH for a few weeks um, and, and just assaulted Origi. And he really hasn't been the same player since the start of a match since then. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, he's now turned into this sort of human equivalent of a Hail Mary pass. Sometimes yeah, it doesn't work out, but when it does, <laughs> it's spectacular. <laughs> but when you realise that it's Origi scoring the goal in the last minute, it's just—it's almost—it feels so different to it being a Salah or a Mane, doesn't it? It's like when he came on on um, in the game against Wolves. I yeah, I had that that same thought that James talks about earlier. I was like, it's no nil. I was like, okay, we've seen this before, and you just think every time it's the last time it can happen. But he just seems to add one on. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, obviously great to see him amongst the goals again. And he did a really wholesome interview afterwards as well, where he was saying that Klopp just told him to go on and be Divock, which I think sums up all Liverpool fans' um, views on him. <clears throat> Talking more generally about the result, then obviously Wolves is a difficult place to go. They're very solid at the back, and you know they, they, they've been in the top six uh, this season and caused a lot of teams difficulties under Bruno Large and they seem to have got their feel-good factor back that they lost a little bit when Nuno went like me and James discussed last week um so to grind out grind out a win even though it was a bit of a smash and grab at the end let's say say smash and grab we were definitely the dominant you know dominant side and probably were a bit unlucky with chances missed is it just as satisfying to get a win like that when compared to other wins we've had, in, you know, in the last few weeks where we've been blowing teams away three or four nil, but this time 
it was one of those kind of performances where you'd look back on the end of the season if you do go on and win the league title and you think that's the that's a, the type of game that wins you big trophies. Yeah, I think it I think it breathes confidence into the players and to the fans. I think, like you said, we've seen Liverpool, what was it, 17 games in all competitions scoring two or more goals. Um, So we've seen Liverpool go and batter teams, you know, Arsenal 4-0, then beat Southampton 4-0, then beat Everton 4-1. But as a fan, sometimes you do sit there if it's 0-0 with 10, 15 minutes to go and you think, have they got it in them to to grind something out? Is, Is the, you know, is one of the front three going to come up with that one goal or, um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, the mentality monsters was a big thing for Liverpool during the, the Champions League campaign where we won it. We finished second by a point and obviously the year later we won it. And then last season, due to the injuries, obviously we saw the mental, the, you know, the mentality of the team drop, you know, due to consistency of players on the pitch. And I think as fans, we all wondered, is that ever going to come back? Um, so yeah, it, it's really good to see you know, the, the team being patient, uh, the players being patient, and all it was was just Van Dyke doing what he does, just pings the ball out to the right-hand side. Salah with the first touch, you know, to cement, you know, how good he is and, you know, the best player in the world right now. And then just puts it for Origi to... And let's, like, take it away. It's a really good finish as well, the way he uses the Wolves defender to, to you know, cover where he's going to, you know, hit the ball. Um, but, yeah, I think as a fan, it's a big thing to know that, you know, Liverpool, I've got it in them with four minutes left on the clock going into injury time that, you know, they can pick up a result. Yeah, I mean, whether it's more satisfying, I I, I think is, I don't know, it's not, satisfaction is what I quite feel. It's more sort of just, I don't know, odd, an odd form of elation, really, because like, I, I wasn't satisfied with... Very different. Form. Very different emotion. Yeah, like, it's very odd. It's quite hard to describe, actually. But one thing I will say, and James touched on it here, it was such a Liverpool goal. Like, you know, ball with our defenders doesn't look like too much danger. Van Dijk goes bored and pings it 60 yards um, to Mohamed Salah. Little run from my reverse ball, Divock Origi, like the guy can finish. Like he, he has pulled off some really technically excellent finishes. Like even this season, he's done that weird heel flick thing against Preston. He's done a bicycle kick against Arsenal. Um, you know, we've him, seen him hit long range drives before. Like he's got different finishes in his locker, and that turn because he's quite a big lad, so he can do that. He can hold the ball up and turn and shoot. He's quite good. He always strikes the ball quite purely. Um, he's got a lot of power behind a lot of his strikes. And I think that is what, you know, that that was the telling factor in that goal is he got really good purchase and Saar just can't move across to it fast enough. And yeah, I mean, it was a good, like, it was a good goal, which I think is the thing I'm most satisfied about. It wasn't just, you know, an absolute shithouse of a goal. Um, you know, like the Merseyside Derby one. Um, it was a really good goal. And the fact we were able to pull that out so late on is a really good sign, I think. A goal of that quality, especially after Diogo Jota appears to have got so pissed off with Connor Cody that rather than just passing the ball into the opposite corner of the net, he's decided to try and take his head off with a shot instead. <laughs> he took about six touches after going past 
the goalkeeper as well, which I, I'm watching it live. I was just, just screaming, just hit it now, hit it now. <laughs> and then he, he hits it at the one part of the goal where it's not going to go in. Um, I maintain that he, that Connor Cody has said something to him before and Josh <laughs> has just gone, right, this is my excuse just to hit the ball at him as hard as I can. <laughs> Um, the, the win did kind of was a bit reminiscent to that Aston Villa victory in the title winning season winning it so late on but how important do you think this year we know there's probably three teams that are really competing for the title for the first time probably quite a few years we've had this many you know actual contenders in the title race how important was it to get the win especially when earlier in the day Chelsea have, have lost at West Ham and then you know that Man City obviously went on and blew Watford away in, in the later kickoff. Getting that win when one of the rivals are dropping points feels big to me. Yeah, it's absolutely massive. I think we spoke about it last week, didn't we? Where we said, you know, Liverpool have to win these two games in a row because there is a chance that one of the two other teams you know, had tricky fixtures. I think Villa away is obviously a tricky game for City, but they came through it. And we, knew, oh, we all knew they were going to beat Watford and then, I think I said last week that Chelsea had two tricky games, you know, because the injuries that they've got, no Lukaku, you know, going to West Ham away, we've been there this season, we know how difficult it is, um, obviously the same scoreline, but I think all Liverpool can do now in the, you know, being in second and third until they get to the top is just keep applying the pressure and I think it's going to be, it's going to be massive. I think if we can be, you know, there or thereabouts by the time the African Cup and Asia comes around, I don't even know if it's going to go ahead with obviously the, the new variant of COVID, no, no one's really said if that's going to go ahead yet. Um, I know it's only two games they're going to miss, but obviously, you know, it's two tricky games, Palace away and Brentford at home. So if Liverpool can be there or thereabouts by the time them games come around, then you know, I think they've got a really good chance. But it's it's Liverpool have got to match the results of everybody else now um, until one of them slips up. And um, I don't know where City are going to slip up at the moment. <laughs> it's hard. Week by week, you think, oh, this could be a tricky game for them. And then, like you said, they go and blow Watford away. So, um, just got to keep doing what they're doing and you know if they keep on picking three points up every week then they've got a good chance of catching whoever's at the top So James what you're saying is that if we win all our games we'll win the title I for one think that's a great insight I'm on board yeah, well, It's a tactical masterclass really yeah. um, <laughs> just, just win every game I'm here for it <laughs> I have a revolutionary idea. We're going to win. <gasps> Shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, sorry. Um, I'm not a child. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality is, despite my ever so slight piss taking, um, is that you have to be more and more and more consistent o- over the last, you know, six, seven years in the Premier League that you've ever had to be. Like, you know, 85 points used to win you a title. Yeah. 85 points will barely get you fourth at the moment. Okay, that's a bit of an exaggeration. You will get fourth with 85 points. But, like, the point stands. Like, you know, we've had 100 points. Like, uh, the Premier League title winner basically always gets 90-plus points now, if not close to 100. And that level of consistency is just required. And so far, Chelsea, City and Liverpool are all showing that level of consistency. Chelsea having a little wobble right now as we looks like we were having a little wobble 
um, uh, <laughs> coincidentally, with a loss to West Ham. Um, yeah. And I'm sure City will have their little wobble at some point. The reality is they just currently don't have a goal scorer who, like, a consistent one anyway. Like, they're getting goals from all over the park. Bernardo Silva's having his little purple patch right now. It'll go to Phil Foden. It'll go to Riyad Mahrez. It'll go to, you know, whoever. But at some point, I think there will be a couple draws um, or maybe even a couple one nil losses just off the back of not being able to put the ball in the back of the net. We've seen um, them lose to Crystal Palace this season as well. Yeah, yeah. Like like City aren't invincible. And and I can see I can see teams causing them issues. I mean, Jesus, Villa very nearly got a result. Like if oh god, Chuck Wemke Chuck Wemke, is it? They're young midfield. Um he missed a glorious chance. He's um he looks a talent though, that kid. He yeah. like him and, and young Ramsey as well at Aston Villa. Like yeah, he's looks he, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I um I know we're getting on to Aston Villa in a second, but I was quite impressed with how Villa came out in the second half, not so much the first against City. Um but yeah, um uh I think that it's going to take a level of consistency up there with when we won the title to win it this year, essentially, is my point. My very long, rambling point. I think we can all all agree with that. It's one of those seasons where even if you draw a game, it feels like you've lost. Like it, Every game feels like a six-pointer when you have a te- the quality of the um, other, other teams up there. Um, but looking at the performance in a bit more depth against Wolves on Saturday. Um, Thiago and Fabinho, again, seemed like they had excellent games. Jordan Henderson perhaps was a, a little below par, in my opinion, but the, Thiago and Fabinho, now they've got a runner game together, they look vitally important. We've talked about that before, but with the midfield probably being the biggest question mark on this Liverpool team, you know, the front three picks itself, and at the moment, you, we know what the best back four is. Having that consistency of Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho and getting performances out of particularly the latter two, Fabinho and Thiago, how important is it that midfield A, stays fit and B, keeps putting in performances like they have been? I think the main thing is, is just to keep fit and the performances will come from there. I think think they've already started four games together in the Premier League as a midfield three, which... Is mind blowing, really, considering Thiago came in at the beginning of last season, but then obviously you had Fabinho and Henderson playing in, at centre half at points last season. So I think it's massive. I think those three, you know, are arguably you've got Fabinho, who I think is the best number six in the world. You've got Thiago, who's been one of the most wonderful players on the ball of the last six, seven years. We've seen what he's been like at Barcelona and then obviously, you know, Bayern Munich winning Champions Leagues and Leagues. And then you've got the workhorse in Henderson, who's just going to do all the, you know, the running up and down the pitch and is going to, you know, do all the pressing before it does get to Thiago and Fabinho. So I think it is important that those three stick together. And I mean, I was pretty shocked to hear, you know, that Henderson did start. There was a, quite a few Twitter rumours going around that maybe Chamberlain was going to come in for, for Henderson and he was going to be the one to get the rest out of the three. Um, but you know, I think the one thing we've all seen from last season with all the injuries is the consistency to have that back four, to have that midfield three and to have that front three. If you know exactly week in, week out, who you're passing the ball to, who's going to be covering you, where someone's going to be without it becoming, you know, with it becoming second nature, 
think it's massive. You know, look at the title winner season that we had. It was basically the same starting eleven every single week. There was the rare occasion where Mane was getting a wrestle, Rigi had come in, but they were only very rare occasions. I think if you want to win the Premier League and you want to go, you know, want to go deep into to the Champions League as well, I think you've got to have a consistent starting eleven. I think at the moment, you know, touch wood, barring the injuries, I think Liverpool have finally got it at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree. And especially in the way that our midfield has been constructed this season with sort of Fabinho as the, you know, he does more than this, but the quotation marks, destroyer um, in midfield. And then you have Thiago who's sort of dropping into those slightly deeper positions and playing the passes and making runs forward after that. And then you have Henderson, who's doing that sort of... He was doing the same role as Elliot was at the beginning of the yeah. campaign. And I think Elliot will... You'll start to see Elliot and Henderson rotating in that sort of right-sided um, overlap kind of role with Alexander-Arnold coming in field. Um, I think you'll see a lot of that um, heading into the season when Harvey um, does come back. But having that consistency of starting 11 it also means that you can have that consistency of approach because i think the big thing for liverpool is that that road that overlapping number eight can be replaced Kater can do that oxlade chamberlain can do that elliot can do that and henderson can do that but the issue is we don't have many people we don't have anyone who can do what tiago does anywhere near as effectively and we don't have anyone who can do what Fabinho does anywhere near as effectively. So we can keep those two fit in particular. We can rotate the third man in midfield who does the overlapping job because it's less on them in terms of keeping the structure of midfield than it is on the other two. Unfortunately, it's those two who have had the injury problems recently. But if we can keep those two fit and keep that balance in midfield, I think we'll win the title. It feels like it's always Naby or Thiago who are injured. Like Naby will come back probably next week and then it'll be Thiago's turn to go to the treatment table. Don't you say weeks. that. Don't you <laughs> say that. I will cancel my flights to Australia and I will come <laughs> over to Nottingham to shout at you. Yeah, well, obviously, hopefully not, but... We'll see. Fingers crossed that uh, Thiago has no more injuries ever in his Liverpool career. Let's say that, shall we? Um, well, that's worse. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on to looking at the Aston Villa game, um, unfortunately, due to the way that we schedule these recordings, we've not really had time to actually discuss the 4-1 victory at Goodson Park. So shall we just say a quick Merry Christmas to Everton and how enjoyable was that last week? Oh, Oh, it was uh, it was the season of goodwill, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> last last Wednesday, um, it was quite funny. Um, watched it with my partner, who is an Evertonian. Um, so it's a derby day is done. always a fun fun moment in in our house. Um, yeah, I mean, I did that thing where I build her up during the week, so I was going, you know what? I don't know, Rafa, he, he might pull something out the bag, and I was building her confidence up. And then within the first 19 minutes, I just looked over and just give her a little wink just to say, you know, I was only messing around with you. Um, but no, listen, first 19 minutes, Liverpool could have been 5-6, five, 5-6-0 six, five, six, up. It was, they were really that good. Salah misses the chance where he should have headed it instead of trying to trying to hit it uh, with his right foot. Um, there was a point where Everton 
got into the game, but I think getting a couple of throw-ins in Liverpool's half doesn't really count as getting into the game. Um, and a bit of a, a bit of a shout from the Goodison fans, well, the ones that stayed anyway. Um, but yeah, to go into a derby, win 4-1, it's Klopp's biggest win at Goodison. It's only a second win at Goodison as Liverpool manager. And I just think it goes to show just how much of a gap there is between Liverpool and Everton. And when people say, what's the biggest game? Liverpool, yeah, Everton, Liverpool United. And, you know, Liverpool United does offer, you know, a closer competition, you know, because of obviously what we saw on Wednesday night. It's, yeah, I mean, it really does show that just massive gap between the two clubs, despite Everton spending money most seasons, not this season, it should be said, um, but most seasons they spend money like it's going out of fashion, um, which I don't think it ever will. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it just, Everton just looked sad, really. I mean, like, I didn't feel sad. I felt tremendous. But um, <laughs> but they just look like what they are, which is, you know, a bit of a tragic club at the moment. Um, I mean, admittedly, missing Dominic Calvert-Lewin, especially for a, a manager who likes to play like Rafa Benitez does, is huge. Like, Cal- Calvert-Lewin is a threat. None yeah. of the others really, aside from Damara Gray, represent too much of a threat. Damara Gray, side note, playing really well, very impressed, scored a lovely goal um, against Arsenal. But... Um, yeah, Liverpool just the gulf is just enormous between Liverpool and Everton. I think I found it a sort of similar game to the Arsenal game. Like it just the gap is just so big that for for Liverpool to do anything but win pretty comfortably would have been worrying, to be honest. Uh, it was enjoyable hearing the, the, the songs for Rafa Benitez before a ball had even been kicked from the Liverpool fans singing his name more than the Blues fans, and they certainly will be after the result. And another familiar face, obviously, returning to Anfield this weekend is our beloved Steven Gerrard, but in the capacity of Aston Villa manager. Villa have looked really, really good, aren't they, since Stevie's came in? Um, I think they were obviously underperforming as a squad in those last few weeks and months with Dean Smith, but he's got them scoring goals again, and that's three wins out of four, the only defeat coming against that, uh, obviously against Manchester City, where they could have got a point, as we mentioned earlier. So they are going to come to Anfield on the weekend, and, you know, we shouldn't take them lightly. Yeah, no, I think, obviously, we we spoke about it at the beginning of the season, that obviously Villa had sold Jack Grealish, and what were they going to be able to achieve this season? Obviously, signing... Like of Danny Ings, Buendia, um, to try and fill that gap. And yeah, it looks like he's got them playing well again, obviously. Just do what? So is it two wins, two wins, um, three wins and a defeat three in his wins. first four? Yeah, that's right. So, and let's be honest, they've come against the Leicester team who won the FA Cup last year and you know always talked about us as a top four club. Uh, as Max said, should have got a point really at, at the end against Manchester City. So I think we all knew how good he was, you know, we, heard about him and you know stuff like that at Liverpool at the under 18s um, obviously it was highly spoke about then and then obviously he's gone to Rangers and stops 10 in a row leaves them in a good position for Van Bronckhorst to take over um, and then he just you know picks up where he left off with Rangers and has got Villa playing some really attractive football you know, obviously seen a couple of clips I've not watched them a lot but I've seen a few clips of them you know passing the ball around in tight areas you know passing move um, and the intensity level seems to have gone up. And 
he's even got the centre halves, you know, Conta scoring two goals at the weekend. So I just think, you know, the difference of going into a dressing room and, you know, it's it's weird for me seeing a Gerard as a manager because I still obviously as a kid remember Gerard as a player. Um, so it makes me feel old seeing him as a manager. But obviously there's a few young players in that dressing room, the likes of obviously Ramsey uh, that Max said before, who I think having him in the dressing room will have a bigger impact on him than Dean Smith. And that's no disregard to Dean Smith. But I think if you've spent all of your life growing up watching someone dictate games, score goals and big finals, then I think you know that's only going to have a, a positive impact on your career and your development. And that, that looks the like. I think, yeah, um, the, I mean, Gerard as a manager has already got a pretty clear identity and he will want to make it tough for Liverpool. There's no way that he, you know, his loyalty to the club is going to get in the way of his competitiveness. He's one of the most competitive people I've ever seen. Um, he desperately wants to win. And I think he will actually be increasingly motivated to win at Anfield. I think I think that would be a huge thing for him. Yeah. Um, Villa have started really well. They do have weaknesses. They do look quite vulnerable in transition, um, which does suit us quite well. I think he's going to try and press really high. I think he's going to really sort of get in our faces. And I think a lot is going to fall on Van Dyke, both defensively, and from an offensive point of view, because he, if he can get Salah in behind target, that will that will be a really big route for us. I think in in um, in our scoring. I mean, like if you look at Bernardo Silva's goal um, against them, that volley um, off the counter, admittedly not expecting a first time volley into the top corner, like you know, a copy paste goal, <laughs> but that sort of opportunity is there against Villa, who, who push really high under Gerrard. And Van Dyke lives for hitting that sort of pass to the right wing that can then be crossed um, uh, to a late running forward. So, yeah, I think that this is going to be a very interesting clash of styles. Um, and I look, best of luck to Gerrard in everything he does at Villa. I, I really like the way he's got them playing, but... I really hope that he loses 97-0 um, uh, this, this weekend. Um, and, yeah, any game where he's not playing against Liverpool, go, mate. Like, you know, Villa's second team, all that stuff. But, no, nah, no, nah, not this weekend. Yeah, of course. So we spoke a little bit there about Gerrard's already kind of forging quite an obvious style of playing identity, which I think is really important when we look at other kind of managers who have gone back to manage their old clubs in recent years Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and probably Frank Lampard being the obvious two you'd be hard pressed to say particularly with Solskjaer what their actual style was really I guess with Solskjaer you'd say they try and you know play on the counter a little bit more but when it comes to Gerard making that next step, which I know a lot of the media is going to be for the next three years, is probably going to be touting that he's going to be Klopp's replacement at Liverpool, etc. Just how important do you think it is that he has a clear philosophy of his own that he's gone out and he's learned from, you know, all the managers he's worked with in his career and, and he's put together a blueprint for how he thinks he should play football rather than just going into the job and basically your style of play being 
I scored a goal once in the 1999 Champions League final. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's it's massively important for him to have some sort of philosophy, some sort of style of play, some sort of understanding of what kind of manager he wants to be way before he gets to Liverpool. Um, I think, obviously, like you said, you've mentioned you know Lampard, Solskjaer and Arteta is another one to throw in there. I still don't know Arteta's style of play and he's been at Arsenal for 18 months now. I still I didn't really know Solskjaer's... Um, his tactics, one minute the team were dropping off, next minute they were on the front foot. And when he thinks he's, you think he's got it right, he then goes and messes it up. Um, and then the same with, with Lampard. I think obviously there was times when it came to the end of him where he started tinkering with the formation to try and just not get beat. Um, and obviously I think it's important for Gerard to, to carry on what he's doing at Aston Villa and what he's done at Rangers. Obviously he's been a success at Rangers. He's got off to a good start at Villa. Um, but I think he's worked under enough good managers at Liverpool to sort of take a little bit from from everyone. I think he spoke very highly of Brendan Rodgers um, in that interview with Jamie Carragher on Sky um, over the weekend, where he said he'd be very stupid um, not to take a part of Brendan Rodgers' managerial skills and take it with him, you know, particularly with the one-on-one and um, how to motivate players and how to get them on side and how to get the best out of them in terms of a mental side side of the game. But um, listen, I think we're, we're seeing it now, especially with Aston Villa, but that Rangers team ran more than anybody else. They passed the ball more than anybody else. They were a really slick team to watch, you know, when anybody wanted to watch them. Um, but obviously all eyes are going to be on them now, Aston Villa. And I don't think it's too... Dis- I'm not saying it's the same as what Liverpool are doing, but it's not dissimilar to what Liverpool wants to do. He wants to win the ball as high up the pitch as he can. He wants doesn't want to waste time on possession with the ball. He wants to move it as quick as he can from the back to the front. Um, and I think, you know, if he can stick to that and he can have success with that, then I'm sure he'll have success with it at Liverpool, if, if he came. Yeah, it's... I think that... Reading too much into Steven Gerrard being able to step into Jurgen Klopp's shoes for the next season at least is probably a little naive. Um, I think we really have to see how he beds in with um, with Aston Villa. The one thing I will say is that there is clearly an idea between how range between how Rangers played and how. Um, and how Villa look like they're going to play as well. Very, um, very high fullbacks um, pushing out the pitch, trying to create overlaps. Um, sort of two narrow attackers. Um, he plays a sort of four-three-two-one quite a lot of the time. He keeps his. Um, he almost plays two tens rather than wingers, and uses his fullbacks to create width a lot of the time. Um, which is, not, I don't think it would be too big a depart. There would be, you know, little things and pieces like, you know, to change if he did come into Liverpool. But if that style came with him to Liverpool, I think it's fairly applicable with the players that we have. You'd probably, all you would probably do is swap Salah and Firmino's roles and have Firmino as sort of one of those sort of narrow winger kind of players assuming he's still there but Jota would fit that perfectly um 
And Mo Salah, even at the age of what, he'd be 33, 34. I think he'd fulfill that poacher role really nicely. Or we might have a whole new attack by then. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you can definitely see a style there. Whereas, as James says, I've no idea what Arteta's style is. Um, it seems to be played 4 2 3 1 and hope Smith, Rowe, and Saka do something excellent. Seems to be his plan. Um, Oligon Solskjaer far as I can tell, was Bruno, can you, um, you know, score slash assist? Thanks to Cristiano. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, and just go, I have no plan for the rest of you. You just go forth. Um, and then Frank Lampard. I, yeah. I, Frank Lampard, to me, he never achieved over par with Chelsea. Gerard to me, already looks leaps and bounds ahead of any of them, um, just purely from the fact he's got a discernible style. And I think that it will be very important to him to keep his Michael Beale and Gary McAllister with him as well. Yeah. And having McAllister's familiarity with Liverpool as well would be a big thing for him. And yeah, it just seems like, it seems like he's sort of being groomed for it, but attaching him to the role post-Jurgen Klopp too early, I think, is... Putting yeah, pressure on saying that might not work out. Yeah, it's way it's way too early now. We'll just have to see. I think he needs to have like even you know two, three years at Villa or in the Premier League before. And obviously, hopefully, Klopp might extend. And he doesn't, you know, we don't want Klopp to leave. Is is the first point, is do we? So, you know, <clears throat> we'll have to just see how his career progresses. But wish him all the best of luck, other than this weekend and whenever we play them again. Um, before we go, we'll just a quick one on team selection for the weekend then. Do you think, given that Liverpool can rest players against AC Milan midweek, which you'd expect them to do at time of recording, we don't know what the team is, but you'd expect some of the big hitters not to be involved in that one. Um, you think it's just one of those games where you play your strongest 11 and then you look to rotate in the next few after that with the Christmas season, you know, obviously almost here. We know how we're going to have to rotate at some point over over Christmas just because of the sheer number of games. You know, if we play twice in three days from between the 26th and 28th of December, for example. So there's going to be need to be some rest time. Um, but for this one, would you stick with the you know the, the best eleven as is, which we saw against Wolves? Yeah, I, I would. I think this week offers Liverpool you know a great chance, to, like you say, to rest some players, um, the likes of probably Nico Williams, you know, Simicass, Oxley Chamberlain. Uh, you know, you know, a regain. Um, probably get a game this midweek against uh, you know tonight against AC Milan, um, and then obviously you, I think you have to go full strength against Aston Villa. Um, yeah, like you said, resting over Christmas is going to be crucial. Um, I don't think it's something that obviously Klopp has spoken about the Christmas break. He isn't a big fan of the sorry the the Christmas fixtures. He isn't a big fan of that. And then obviously the Premier League brought in the winter break, but that's at the end of January, so it doesn't really help out with the fixture congestion in and around Christmas. Um, but yeah, I think you know Liverpool can't afford to rest players. As you know, as sad as that sounds, I think obviously City can. They've got two starting 11s that are probably finishing the top four. So for them to drop. Folding and bring Mares in is not the end of the world, but you know Liverpool need to you know, consistency as we spoke about is the key, and having this strongest starting eleven out on the pitch as much as we can, uh, as much as we can get it, um, is massive. And you know we just can't let anything drop. 
I know I said before, win every game. Um, but at the moment, City are winning every game and you've got to keep up with them. Um, and if they're winning every game, then Liverpool have got to go out and do the exact same thing. Um, I know if you win every game, you win the Premier League. Um, but um, no, um, Liverpool have got themselves in a position where they were four points behind Chelsea three games ago and are now on one point above them. And I don't think you know Liverpool can sort of let anything drop at the moment. Like I said, if they can go into Christmas um, and the African Cup of Nations being in and around Man City, with the two fixtures we've got without Salah and Mane, is quite kind. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, just play your full strength and, and then just worry about the Christmas period, uh, you know, the closer we get to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, um, Stephen Gerrard has shown that he's Aston Villa decided not to be trifled with, and this is definitely a... a a game where the first 11 needs to play. I, I don't see that as optional at this point. I, th- I think that in, in basically every Premier League game, I think the first 11 basically needs to play. I mean, make the odd rotation here and there. Um, uh, if you need to, you know, um, Firmino comes in for, you know, one of the um, one of the front three, Jota, you know, Mane, yeah. Salah rotating between them um i don't think is the worst thing i think rotating that third midfielder role making sure that henderson's strain isn't too much because he's one of the only players i think who can play that six or that deep lying playmaker tyler morton in our tyler team. morton yeah i mean <laughs> he, he's talented give him give him a couple years mate. <laughs> um but yeah i think i think there's he, I think rotating him with Ox um, and with Cater and, you know, others who are comfy in that advanced midfield role um, is not the worst decision. And obviously rotating um, uh, Simicast and Robertson as well. There are spots where we can rotate, but like Salah playing as many games as possible is non-negotiable, for example. So, yeah, for this game against Villa, I want the strongest 11 out there pretty much. The strongest 11 possible. Yeah, completely agree on that. And we'll see what happens this weekend and be back with you next week to discuss all the results. Um, But James, Max, thank you for your time as always. Thank you for having us again, boys. And I hope to speak to you in another fine mood again next week. Always a pleasure. Um, Next call will be from the lucky country. Um, So... (laughs) Yeah, well, um, uh, I shall speak to you all presumably very tired and very jet-lagged and um, hopefully in a tremendous mood after a Liverpool win. Fingers crossed. Um, But yeah, that's all for now. So see you next time. Goodbye.